I got one thing to say. This is when the big dogs come out. Stay on the right. Stay on the Let's rock this place. Let's have some fun. In the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. We are seeing a special performance tonight. Diagnosis, prognosis, osmosis. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. I want to know what the hell he's smoking. The doctor is now in. And a good Tuesday to you, a terrible Tuesday. But not for the Raiders. No, that narrative could have changed. That terrible Tuesday open could be happening. But if the Raiders did not come from behind and get that victory last night, survive in advance, as I like to say, and I did say up on the TCMartinShow.com website, the Raiders survived in advance. Yes, they got the victory now 7-7. Seven and seven. We will recap what took place last night in Cleveland. We got plenty of audio. We got sound. We got highlights for you. You will hear from Derek Carr, interim head coach Rich Passaccia, and also Daniel Carlson just signed himself a new contract and wins the game for the Raiders last night in Cleveland, 16-14, the final. Sam Gordon will join us from the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Sam uh, was there last night in Cleveland. Sam has now made his way to his native homeland of Minneapolis, St. Paul, where he's going to spend the uh, you know Christmas and you know the holidays over there. But Sam will join us today. We'll get his thoughts after covering the Raiders and Browns game last night. We'll talk to him. Chuck Esposito will join us from Sunset Station, or I should say, from Red Rock Casino. So uh, Chuck uh, will join us as we preview tonight's games because Week 15 is not quite done. No, it's still going. Two Monday Night Football games last night, and now. Two Tuesday night football games tonight. Seattle taking on the Rams. Washington taking on Philadelphia. Both of these games have plenty of playoff implications. Chuck Esposito will join us uh, next hour as we talk to him about that. And, of course, it is Terrible Tuesday. Plenty of Terrible Tuesday takes. Plenty to rant about. And uh, hopefully my voice will still be intact uh, between now and by the time we get to the Terrible Tuesday segment next hour. <laughs> because I can guarantee you what, at the end by 4 o'clock, my voice will be gone. Because I, I don't know what it was about this week, but I just have plenty of Terrible Tuesday takes that just really make me sick, get me fired up. So, Numbchuck, do not wish my voice to go away. Do not do that. Because without my voice, you don't have a paycheck coming in. Look at it like that. He's trying to figure out something to play there. I, uh, <laughs> I threw you off, didn't I? Jeez. All right, week 15. Ah, man. Raiders get the job done. 16-14. It was ugly football. So many times that we said yesterday that we had some ugly football where teams got away with playing ugly football and won games. The Raiders got that victory last night. This felt like a playoff game. It was treated like a playoff game from both teams. But when you look at this, yes, players were upset. Players were angry, that the Raiders side, because Friday they were getting ready to board a plane. They tried to wait as long as they possibly could. And they go over to the airport, and on their way to the airport, and they say, unload the bus. We're not quite leaving the facility just uh, quite uh, just yet. Players are freaking out. Say, what do you mean? Nah, it looks like uh, you know this game has moved till Monday. So the Raiders got to stay home an extra couple days. They didn't travel until Sunday afternoon. Got into Cleveland about 7.30 uh, Sunday night. And again, it this game meant everything to the Raiders. If they didn't win this game, they were done for the season. Heading to this game 6-7. and seven. Now Cleveland... Same situation, except they were playing at home. Didn't have to worry about travel. And again, the NFL basically bowed to the Cleveland Browns in letting them have uh, the extra two days to try to get their you know, their starters healthy, especially the ones that were in the COVID protocols, including Baker Mayfield. You look at the Browns' situation, they were missing 10 starters, 22 players in all, 
And it didn't work out for him because Mayfield was not cleared to play. Kevin Stefanski, their head coach, still not cleared to coach. And again, they were just a mess. And the Raiders nearly gave them the game in this situation. But it worked out well for the Raiders. To the highlights we go. Raiders get the ball. They score on their very first drive of the game. Everything's looking good as the Raiders score first. Carr throwing back shoulder. Edwards goes up and makes the catch. Touchdown Raiders. They cap off a long drive and get in the end zone on their first one of the night. That's right. 77-yard drive for the Raiders. A first drive of the game. Cap it off with a car to Edwards' five-yard touchdown. Silence the crowd there. And it looked like, okay, this is going to be a good night. The Raiders went on to add on to their lead in the second quarter. Daniel Carlson, Mr. Automatic, a 24-yard field goal. And it was 10-0 Las Vegas. Now, uh, you know, Cleveland started to get something going right before halftime. And the Browns had an opportunity to cut this lead down to seven points with a long field goal attempt right before halftime. It was five of his last ten. Final play of this first half, and he missed it. After making the one that was wiped away because of the timeout before the snap. That's right. A field goal was was good at first, but then uh, Rich Bisaccia decided to freeze him and uh, came back, missed the field goal. So at halftime, the uh, Browns are down 10 nothing. Raiders in total command here. Third quarter, Raiders really didn't do much uh, to capitalize and try to extend this lead uh, at all. Third quarter comes around, the Browns start coming alive, and all of a sudden third-string quarterback Nick Mullins, who is in for Baker Mayfield, who is also in for Case Keenum, both guys out with COVID, as we talked about yesterday. But then uh, Mullins started uh, making some connections, but Nick, Nick Chubb was the difference yesterday, big time uh, you know, on the ground. Chubb gets into the end zone, all of a sudden we got ourselves a ball game. By far the best opportunity of the night. They hand it off to Chubb over the left side. Nick Chubb is in! Touchdown! They score anyway. They scored. That made it 10-7. to All of a sudden now the crowd is alive in Cleveland. And the Browns are thinking, okay, we got an opportunity. Remember, Browns came into this game winning one of their last six games. They needed this victory just as much as the Raiders did. So fourth quarter, Raiders have a drive that stalls. Uh, Carlson comes on to kick a 40-yard field goal. He is good from there now extends the Raider lead to 13-7. to Now the Browns get the ball back. They pass up a field goal, and they go for it on fourth and five from these Raiders' six-yard line. There's 3.45 to go in the game. This is a pivotal play because if they don't get it here, uh, they're giving the Raiders ball, even though they're giving the Raiders the ball back deep in their own territory. It's fourth and five. They pass up the field goal, which you could have taken. And I said to myself, I'm sitting here watching this saying, you make a 13 to 10 right now. Now you're only down three, a little risky. And we know how fourth and goals and fourth and fives go uh, at this part of the field. But uh, they decided to go for it. They passed up the field goal. And this is what happened. Fourth down and five for the Browns. Mullins. Nobody open at first. Keeps it alive. Nick Mullins lets it go. Harrison Bryant. He finds Bryant wide open in the end zone after he scrambled, and Bryant was all alone, uh, started to juggle the ball, bobbled it as he fell backwards into the end zone, and that was good. And all of a sudden now, the Browns, who never led in this game, now take a 14-13 lead. Cleveland leads for the very first time. Now the Raiders have a chance to go back ahead, and what happens? Carr goes deep. Carr steps up, heaves one deep. Wednesday Jones, diving try, but it's picked. Greedy Williams, the interception. Browns take over with 247. Greedy Williams picks off the car pass, 247 to go. Right now you're thinking, okay, it, it went from the Raiders really thoroughly dominating this game throughout pretty much all until that last drive where Cleveland put their nice drive together and took the lead at 14-13, and when the Raiders needed it most, they couldn't get it. And 
We go back to play calling. We're always talking about play calling here. The Raiders seem to run the ball when they shouldn't be running the ball, whether it's third and five, third and six and seven and eight. We've seen that before. But Josh Jacobs, he's not the answer. He's not a 100-yard rusher anymore. This guy's lucky if he gets 50, 60 yards in a game. And the Raiders are, are, are bypassing this. And then when they just need to basically matriculate the ball downfield and just go dink and dunk and get into Carlson field goal range because you're only down one point at this point in time, I don't get it. Carlson goes back and, and rather I'm saying Carr goes back, heaves up a 50 yard pass into triple coverage. It gets picked off by the Browns' greedy Williams, and it looks like game set match. This is over. Raiders now could be talking about the offseason, but still plenty of time. But if you're the Browns, you need to do one thing you need to gain one first down. That's all you need. Raiders had burned a timeout earlier. Remember that? At the end of the third quarter, they they couldn't make up their mind of what they were going to do. And, and you saw on the clock that they needed to run one more play before the third period expired. And for some reason, they couldn't get the right personnel in the field. Carr had to burn a timeout. So now they only had two timeouts left, meaning the Browns get a first down with 247 left and this game is over, and Cleveland's going to win, and the Raiders got to go back to Vegas with a loss in a game that they controlled up in this point in time. But what happens? The Browns go three and out. Raiders get the ball back with 150 to go, no timeouts. Carr leads them on a nine-play, 51-yard drive. The ball is at the 45-yard line, 22 seconds to go. Carr has a huge completion to Zay Jones, a 15-yarder, down to the 30-yard line. This sets up Daniel Carlson for the game winner as time is winding down. Three seconds to go. This is it. Season on the line, 48 yards out, Daniel Carlson. This one counts, and the Raiders have won it. Las Vegas is still alive. 16-14 as Carlson hits the game winner. Carlson hits the game winner 48 yards out uh, after being froze by Cleveland's substitute coach, if you want to say their special teams coach, because Stefanski obviously is out. But, uh, yeah, in, in the first kick by Carlson, it was a little wobbly, but it got there. Uh, to go through, so he had to hit it again. This time he hit it much more clean. It goes through the uprights. Cars pumped up. He's fired up. He's pumping the fist. The Raiders escape Cleveland with a 16-14 to win. A must-win situation for the Raiders. They come through. Say what you want. Wasn't pretty. It was ugly. But as a win is a win, and as Al Davis coined the phrase a long time ago, just win, baby. And that's what they did. They improved to 7-7. Seven and seven. And yes, like I said earlier, they survived and advanced. Here is interim head coach Rich Basaccia summing up the big win. Real excited for our, our guys and um, to win a game in that fashion and play with the effort that they played with all the way to the bitter end. You want to look like, you know, probably it was going to go the other way um, to come back and have a drive and um, to stop them and then get the punt out and, and then have a drive and go down and give Daniel a chance to, to hit a field goal. Um, well done by our players. Really excited for them. And um, right now, um, again, it's been a long time coming to win a game like that at the end. So can't say enough about how they played. We ended up minus two in the turnovers. It's difficult to win a game when you do that. Um, we had some issues back there with Hunter catching the ball. It was a lefty punter. It was a little bit of a swirl in the wind. But still at the end, I thought he made a great decision to get his hands on the ball even after the ball was bounced. Hell, saved us from field position. And, uh, you know, defense held right before the half and gave up a missed field goal there by them. Obviously, now you look at the end of the game, ended up being a big deal for us, right? So the, um, uh, the first stop by our defense to start the game and then a big punt return by Hunter and then the first drive for us on offense to go down and hit a touchdown was certainly big for us then and it loomed really big as the game went on. All right, for the Raiders, they actually 
started out fast, and we haven't seen that, especially with games at home where they started off slow, uh, tried to come back, made mistakes at the end. Well, this time, the Raiders started off fast. They scored that touchdown in the opening drive, seemed to be in total control, but then they let Cleveland back in the game, made some mistakes. We talked about the car interception there at the end, and think about if the Browns do get that one first down, uh, the game is probably over, You know, barring a Cleveland uh, turnover, and that would have been a devastating loss for the Raiders to lose in that fashion against a team that was missing 22 players. Think about that. They were missing more than one-third of their roster. Basically, close to 40% of their roster, they are missing. Ten starters, including their star quarterback, their head coach, uh, one of their star defensive linemen in Javion Clowney, they, they were decimated. They were depleted by injuries. But it was a big win for the Raiders. They got the job done. And one of the main reasons is because they started fast and then they closed the show, which they haven't been able to do for the majority of the games this season. Haven't been able to start out well. They haven't been able to finish well. And they did both of those things and they get the victory. Here's more from Rich Bisaccia talking about going into this game where the players were very, very vocal about the postponement. Some players went on social media. That's not really what you want as a head coach. But then again, you got to deal with it. Luckily, the Raiders were able to back it up. Well, again, I think they had the right to you know, speak their mind when, when that particular thing happened. I thought they did a really good job of coming back to work uh, yesterday and uh, resetting to some degree. Um, you know, Credit to our defense. We weren't sure what quarterback we were going to play against and try to prepare for all of them. And, and you know, credit to the Browns before. right? They, they've gone to Pittsburgh a year ago with a lot of COVID issues on coaches and players and came out and then won that game. And they came out today and they played really good football, really physical football. Um, and it was a battle to the end for both teams. So credit to our team, Preparing for, you know, to some degree, jersey numbers. Um, I think they probably had to do the same thing. You know, we lost Hobbs this morning. Um, we didn't know that was going to happen. They didn't know that was going to happen. Uh, we lost Will Compton last night. Again, um, just jersey numbers and to some degree, nameless, faceless players, except we, we all know who 95 is for them. But, um, again, credit to our guys for the way they finished the game. All right, Rich Bisaccia talked about Will Compton, and uh, that news was that Will Compton uh, was unavailable last night, not because of COVID, because he got word earlier in the day that his mother had died. And so, obviously, he was not in in any uh, way, shape, or form to play in that game last night. So, uh, a big loss uh, for the Raiders there. Hobbs went on the COVID list. A big loss for them uh, defensively. Uh, But then again, you know, you knew what uh, you were facing, you know, with Cleveland missing all their players. But again, uh, for the most part, the Raiders stepped up. Uh, The postponement uh, had a lot of players very angry. We talked about, you know, going to social media and that sort of thing. Uh, here's more of Rich Basaccia talking about how the players handled this situation and trying to put all of their angriness aside for a couple of days and then come to play on Monday night. You know, I, I've learned a long time ago, if I can't control it, it's, it's nothing to really you know, get too worked up about. And um, we tried to convey that to our players, right? Here was a situation that was um, dealt to us, and then how are we going to respond to it? And I think, again, credit to them. They did a great job. We gave them the day off when we didn't get on the plane, and guys came in the next day and kind of treated it like another Friday on their own. They got their lifts in. They got their body worked on. And then yesterday we kind of reset the whole morning. We started at 7.30 in the morning or 8 in the morning, and we kind of went ahead like it was the day before, just like and uh, just like it was the day before, the day before. But um, a lot of credit goes to them. I thought they did a great job of resetting their focus and getting on a plane and getting ready to come play a game. You know, a lot of fans dismiss the kicker and don't realize how important a punter and a kicker are to a football team. The Raiders got one of the best. And I was glad to see them reward Daniel Carlson just this last week with uh, a contract extension because he is one of the better field goal kickers in the game. The guy came from Auburn, comes from a a kicking family. He kicked uh, at a very high level, obviously, in college. And since the Raiders drafted him, he has been rock solid. And it doesn't matter if it's cold weather conditions, wind, or whatever. Daniel Carlson is one of the best kickers in the NFL. And then when the Raiders needed Carlson the most, he came through. And this guy has been phenomenal. 
this season. I believe he's only what missed what three field goals all season long, and uh, you know you just need to get him in range. Here's Basaccia talking about his belief in his kicker. Yeah, well said. I think our team has a great belief in Daniel. They they see the way he practices, um, and they have a great belief in the, the battery. You know, from Trent to AJ, and then to Daniel. You know, they get to see him in practice, to get to see the way they work, see the way they um, handle themselves in meetings, and carry themselves when it's a miss. And they carry themselves when it's good. So I think we all thought we were going to have a good chance to go out there and let him kick a 48-yarder. I'm excited they made both. Yeah, he did make both. Like I said, was frozen the first time, and even the second kick was a little bit better than the first. All right, the Raiders uh, being able to put the losses behind them, especially the way they, they played against uh, Kansas City uh, the week before. It started off being a short week, ended up being a long week because the Raiders were supposed to play on Saturday, if you remember. Game pushed back to Monday night, so maybe they needed that extra time to put that loss behind them. But they did, and they got the win. We all know we go out there how important it is to win a game, right? We we wouldn't be playing them. Um, We're all pro football players, and uh, we understand the situation we're in, you know, what the race looks like. And so, again, we've been playing to the bitter end. You know, I think – a week ago is a week ago, and, and uh, we gave up big play towards the end, uncharacteristic a little bit, gave up a gap, and, and uh, you know, it was just a matter of time before Cleveland was going to come out and try to run the ball you know, down our throat for as long as they could, and, and they had some good drives and did a good job there in the end of the fourth quarter, and, but our, our defense held when they had to and, and forced a punt, and then our offense came down and you know, gave Daniel a chance to win it. So, um, yeah, I, I'd like to think we're just going to keep playing to the bitter end and see what happens. All right, there is the interim head coach, Rich Basaccia. All right, let's talk about Derek Carr. All right, Carr, not a, a great game, but you know what? They When he came through in the, in the end, the last drive, uh, when they just needed to, to move the ball down the field to get in Carlson field goal range, he, he got the job done. But let's go back to that interception because that interception likely looked like it was going to cost the Raiders the game and more than likely would cost the Raiders their season and any playoff hopes. Here's Carr talking about the interception that almost cost him. I was trying to be aggressive all night, especially um, you know with certain certain looks we had, and with the weather, usually you think just run the ball and all that. So I try to come in with a really aggressive mindset. Um, you know, we we had a lot of you know try and try and hit some big play kind of things, and uh, so even there, I got the coverage I wanted, um, and I just I gave Zay a chance, and uh, obviously they, their corner sped up. Stayed on top, and he went and made a play on the ball, which I have to give him credit. He made a great play. And, um, you know, after that, it's like, please just get – I promise we'll win the game. <laughs> you know, uh, I promise we'll win it. Just get it back. And uh, and, and the defense did. And, uh, and we were able to, you know, go back down the field and win the game. All right, there's Derek Carr. 25 for 38, 236 yards, had the one touchdown, had that interception that he was talking about right there. And he connected on Zay Jones. And, and Zay Jones had dropped a ball earlier. Deshaun Jackson dropped a ball earlier. He was wide open. But here's Carr talking about trusting his young wide receivers, specifically Zay Jones. Chemistry is I trust the guy, you know. And uh, there was a slant Brian Edwards caught in the red zone. Um, I think it was in the second quarter, maybe. I can't remember the quarter exactly. Um, but to my right. Uh, single high coverage, and I told him that's trust down there, you know. And uh, same thing was, hey, I trust him. And I told him, I, I went to him actually after that pick, you know, details of why don't matter, but I went to him, I said, I'm coming right back to you and we're going to win this game. And because uh, I knew I needed him, you know, and I, and I wanted him to know not only do I need you, uh, but I believe in you. And uh, even on the holding, he had a big play, big catch. And so, um, super proud of him, super happy for him. Uh, him and I have a very close relationship, you know, besides football, uh, you know, when it comes to, you know, talking off the field and spending time together and he comes over to the house and all those good things. So, um, you know, I trust him and I was, I'm just happy that we got the ball back, not, you know, for my own sake, but so that he could get the ball back in his hands. And, uh, he, he won the game for us. It was awesome. All right. There is the quarterback, uh, Derek Carr, uh, going back and talking about having to deal with this postponement. And a lot of the Raider players were not happy. And so Derek Carr, obviously being the face of this franchise right now, being the leader, being the quarterback, he's got to answer questions about this. And no different, really, than the questions that he had to answer when his goofball teammates decided to go stomp on the Kansas City Chiefs logo the week before. He really wasn't down for that, but he stood by the players. Uh, Here's Carr talking about 
his his teammates going on social media ripping the NFL and maybe saying some things that they shouldn't be saying, especially when you know they're in the verge of of trying to get a playoff spot. Yeah, uh, again, my teammates said things that I, I agreed with, you know, and uh, and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, just how I was taught, I mean, the life's going to throw you curveballs. There's going to be adverse times, and you know, I just I'm going to show up whenever they let us play, and we're going to play. You know, whether I agree, whether I don't agree. I don't really think it matters. You know, I think it just makes it's good for you guys because we get to talk about it. You know, it, just being honest. Like, but like at the end of the day, we, we all we all know it doesn't really matter. Like, we got to play at some point, and after that game, we're going to stand there. We won or lost, and so that's kind of the approach that I took. Um, I wanted to play. You know, I have a schedule. You know, red. You know, and for me, I have a routine and things like that. So uh, it messes with that a little bit, um, but. If that's the hardest thing I deal with, you know, this week, then thank the Lord, you know, because we know like, we got teammates dealing with a lot more than that, as we know um, today. So our schedule is probably my routine, my schedule, how I plan my week. That's probably the biggest thing that changes. All right, there's Derek Carr. All right, talking about the final game-winning drive and how close did he need to get for Daniel Carlson to get that game-winning field goal. In my brain, when we got that ball, <clears throat> got the back, got the ball back, I know what yard line I got to get Daniel to to have a chance, you know. And um, Daniel's proven over and over again for me. You know, everyone wants to the comeback wins and all this kind of stuff. You know, oh, good job. And I was like, it doesn't matter if he doesn't make the kick, you know. <laughs> like, and uh, and he he makes them, you know. And he's proven it over and over again that he's a super confident player, um, good friend too. Uh, so that makes it cool. And uh, I don't really watch the ball. I watch his reaction, you know, because he always gives it one of those. So for me, uh, I usually think around the 35, you know. Um, <laughs> when Seabass was here, he would usually say, get me to the 50. And I'd be like, Seabass, <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. You know? <laughs> uh, but uh, with Dan, I, I always think around the 35. And if it's a little bit farther than that, I still think he can make it, obviously. He showed, shows it all the time. And if I, can, if I can help him out with an easy completion, depending on time and timeouts and all that kind of stuff, I'm – Lots going through, you know, algorithms, I guess, going through my head, trying to f- figure out decisions and all that kind of stuff. But around the 35, but 40, maybe Coach is talking like max in the wind and all that. I don't know. But I'm usually thinking around the 35. If it's on the 40 to 41, I know we still have a chance, obviously. But I want to get him as close as I can from that number. All right. Glad to hear the Seabass reference was in there. Obviously, Sebastian Janikowski, who Carr played with uh, early on in his career. But Daniel Carlson gets the job done with the game-winning field goal. All right. Let's hear from the kicker because we rarely get a chance to hear from kickers. Here's Daniel Carlson talking about where he felt he needed to be to get into his range. Pre, pre-game and stuff with the wind, I think, you know, 35 and in, 53 yard is kind of like a comfortable range. After that, you know, 40 and in, we could hit that. I mean, it's at the end of the game. At the end of the day, we're going to probably try whatever whatever is realistic and we could we could try and swing at. So um, offense did a great job, you know, despite a couple penalties where, you know, got pushed back, but they found a way to get the ball to, you know, what was it, 30-yard line. Um, you know, 48-yard field goal, that, that's a huge props to them, huge props to the defense making the stop quickly, you know, so we got a chance to get the ball back. So um, awesome finish of the game and awesome team win for us. That's right. Uh, having a kicker, huge. Have to have a kicker. Uh, we've seen a couple teams this year where they've lost their kicker and they had no choice and they had to go for it on fourth down from no matter, you know, where. But uh, to have a reliable kicker like Daniel Carlson won the game. And the defense won the game for the Raiders, too. Let's talk about that, huh? The Raiders' defense won the game for him because the Cleveland Browns, as depleted as they were, as bad as they played, Nick Mullins wasn't great. He was serviceable yesterday. But the bottom line was this, is that the Raiders' defense came up big when they needed to with that stop. And then it came all down to the foot of Daniel Carlson. And again, uh, a guy that got, got frozen by the Cleveland uh, Browns coach. But he came through and he nailed it. I mean, it, you, you can't really guess. You, you just assume the first one's going to count. Um, and then, you know, if you get a second, the second one's going to count. Um, so, you know, it, I, I kind of heard the timeout halfway 
when the ball was like up in the air and I was like, all right, well now I can at least figure out the win a little better and stuff. So I think I hit the ball better the second time um, just because, you know, I, the first one you, I hadn't been kicking that direction on the field for a while. So, um, you know, you kind of guess in the wind a little bit that the second one, I knew exactly what the ball would do. So, um, you know, Great snaps, holds, protection all night. Um, you know, so it was fun to be able to do my job and you know get get the win for us. All right, Raiders win sixteen fourteen. Three games to go now. You got Denver at home coming up on Sunday. Now you have a short week uh, to prepare for Denver. They're going to be without their starting quarterback Teddy Bridgewater, who got injured uh, in the game against Cincinnati, where the Broncos lost. Good for the Raiders in that situation. And now Drew Locke is going to get the start for the Broncos, but before you start thinking, hey, big advantage for the Raiders, remember Drew Locke came in here and and Denver beat the Raiders uh, last year here. So we'll see what happens there. They got Indianapolis, arguably the toughest game left on their schedule, and then they got to close the season against the Chargers. So the Raiders are definitely going to have to go at least 2-1. and They really need to go 3-0 and to have any shot in making the playoffs. All right, when we come back, Sam Gordon's going to join us. He was at the game there in Cleveland. We'll get Sam's thoughts on the Big Raider win and talk more about the NFL as well, too. Next hour, Chuck Esposito from uh, Red Rock Casino joins us from the sportsbook side. We'll get his uh, takes uh, on tonight's games as well as the rest of the docket for here in week number 15. And don't forget, Terrible Tuesday takes coming next hour. The T.C. Martin Show is back. Yes! What are you doing? It's just a halftime. Yes, this is my favorite part of the game. T.C. Martin. Yes, in the face! The doctor is now in. in, in. California. All right, Raiders victorious last night. You heard the sound. You heard from Derek Carr, Rich Basaccia, and Daniel Carlson. Raiders escape with a victory. Just think. How the narrative could have changed so quickly if uh, the Browns get a first down or if the Browns actually connect on that field goal before halftime. Different story. Would have won the game. Could make that argument there. All right, let's talk to our good friend Sam Gordon, Las Vegas Review-Journal. Covers the Raiders, who was there in Cleveland last night. And I don't know if you had an extended stay, uh, Sam. If you went early, you got stuck in Cleveland, you ended up having to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame two or three times, find out some great fil- uh, some uh, Cleveland restaurants. I don't know. Let's hear the Sam Gordon travel schedule, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's it's funny story, TC. I actually was supposed to have catch a red eye at midnight Thursday slash Friday um, to Cleveland. I get there, and the flight changes gates. I'm not privy to that until I get to the the gate. And by that point, it's too late. I, I'm, I'm late for the flight. I missed the first flight. I have to rebook my ticket for Friday morning. Um, so I do that Friday, 10, 15. I get to the airport. While I'm on the plane to Cleveland, there's a layover in Detroit, is when the game is postponed, right while I'm in the air. So as a result, like you predicted, um, successfully, I, I did have an extended stay um, in Cleveland. My father's hometown, by the way, Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah, so I remember that. I got yeah. to re- you got to reconnect with my roots a little bit. I, I had a long weekend in Cleveland. There was some inclement weather. Um, nothing I'm not used to being from Minneapolis. Uh, but finally, they played the game yesterday, as you talked about. A very, very, very close game. Probably too close for comfort for the Raiders. But a uh, victory is a victory nonetheless. And now here they are at 7-7 seven and seven with a chance to win out um, and, and still uh, preserve their playoff hopes. But like you said, D.C., not exactly a, uh, a glamorous victory and certainly not a, uh, not a glamorous trip. Um, either, but but nonetheless, uh, we made it and everything is okay. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that, and that's the thing. You know, when you're dealing with winter weather, the Midwest back east, and you and I have both been through that before. But it really didn't work out that bad for you, except maybe for having to go to the airport and you know the gate change and all that nonsense, and then you have to come back the next day. But you know, getting that extended time where you basically don't have to work, Sam, and you've got family there. Now, it'd be one thing if we're going to Bismarck, North Dakota, and we got no relatives, no friends, no 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 nightlife, no nothing to do. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. it, that would be one thing. But you're going to Cleveland. There's plenty of stuff to do. Sure, weather aside, not great. But you got extended time with the family, man. That it was all good. I feel very comfortable um, in Cleveland. It's you know it's not Vegas. You know yeah. I'm, by any means I'm not I'm not saying it is, but it's a city I've been to 
um, you know, several times, including for the NFL draft earlier this year. And I was, I was quite comfortable there. Had some good company. Like you said, we had some good eats. And, uh, and it was cool. That was my first time actually covering a game at First Energy Stadium. Very, very cool atmosphere. Great outdoor stadium. Very, very enthusiastic fans. Um, and it was a great, it was a great atmosphere overall. I, it, I mean, what was it, you know, my ideal weekend per se, spending four days in, in Cleveland in, in December. Uh, but nonetheless, it was a, it was a fun trip and, uh, and punctuated by a, a very competitive football game on Monday night. Okay. You brought up food. So, you know, I got to go there. Best meal you had in Cleveland. Um, oh, geez. There was, uh, I cannot remember the name of the place. I think it's called the melt. Um, it, it's a, it's a local kind of a famous like grilled cheese spot in Cleveland with different kinds of sandwiches. And I had a burger there that was pretty good. So that was the melt. That was probably my favorite, okay. my favorite meal, my hometown kind of meal. Mm-hmm. There was also a pizza, pizza joint called Angelo's that we had on Sunday night. Uh, watched the rest of the Tampa Bay, New Orleans game there. Angelo's is pretty good too. Nice vibes, um, fun atmosphere. So. It's always cool traveling and going to different restaurants that are in different cities. For now, sure. That that is cool. Now, when you're when you're wine and dining there, are you going solo? Or are you going with other friends? Are you going? Are you hanging out with Heidi Fang? Is that what's going? Do you guys kind of like hang together there? I mean, the the RJ team and all that stuff. Yeah, a little bit. Um, I, I, I had some of my own time um, as well, but but no, Adam Hill was with um, Heidi. Heidi came Sunday night. Uh, a case keeper from the Las Vegas Sun and Paul Gutierrez. Um, from ESPN, so it was us four until Heidi got out there. We were we were hanging out quite a bit. Had uh, we talked about pretty much anything sports related under the sun, and baseball Hall of Fame, NBA, NFL. Is this guy a Hall of Famer? Is that guy? You know those fun kind of conversations yeah. that help kill time. Great stuff. All right, Sam Gordon joins us. Uh, just uh, left Cleveland. Now he's uh, he's in his original hometown of Minneapolis, St. Paul, uh, for the holiday. So great stuff there. All right, Sam. Let's talk about this game here. The yeah. the narrative could have changed very, very easily if the Browns come up with a first down after Carr threw the interception. I want to, uh, you know, I really want to kind of highlight on that here for a minute yeah. as, as the Raiders fall behind for the first time in a game as ugly as it was. And really, they didn't play great, but they, they did enough to win, and the Browns weren't doing enough to win. And then when Nick Mullins puts together that drive, and then it's, you know, fourth and in, in five from the six yard line. I mean, I'm thinking, okay, kick the field goal, make it 13 10 if you're Cleveland. But nope, here we go again. Another coach saying, hey, we're, we're going to, you know, we're going to let it fly here, even though it's probably not the most high percentage thing. And then Molds was in trouble. He's rolling around and he, he finds a, you know, a wide open, uh, what, Bryant in the end zone who, who bobbled the catch, juggled it, fell in the end zone. Now all of a sudden, boom. Cleveland's got all the momentum. They're ahead fourteen to thirteen, and I know the Raiders still had plenty of time. But then Carr throws the interception. What yeah. were you thinking at that point in time? Game set match, Cleveland. Uh, I'm thinking here we go again. This is something we've seen from the Raiders, you know, time and time again. Right, a game that you think they should win, that they should have under control. I mean, again, the TC, as you know, Cleveland without eight starters plus their punter, without their top two quarterbacks, Baker Mayfield. And Case Keenum, it was a makeshift offensive line um, where the Raiders are mostly healthy. Yes, no Darren Waller, no Denzel Perryman, but for the most part, you have your best players out there. Um, they go up 10-0 and can't put that thing away. And, and that's been an issue that they, they've had all year, um, really all, I mean, up the past two decades, really, but especially the last, the last few years since we've been more intimately involved with the team. Um, it was it was the same old story over and over again. Now now at the same time, credit the defense, credit where credit is due. They do force that three and out. TC, I got to say, I was a little surprised. Like you mentioned, Nick Mullins was excellent on that fourteen play, eighty yard drive that he capped with that touchdown pass um, to the tight end. Cleveland took the ball out of his hands. The Browns did not trust him to throw on third and short or to even give him the option of a play action fake. I was talking to Adam in the press box and said, Adam, what are you doing here, coach? Third and three. First down wins the game. He says play action. I, I certainly expected the play action. If nothing's open, you take the sack. That still forces the Raiders to use their timeout, and you go play defense. But they took, they took the ball out of his hands in the biggest moment of the game. That gave the Raiders an opportunity to make a play. you got to credit Jonathan Hankins uh, for, for, for blowing up that running play on third down in the backfield. And then Derek Carr with an excellent, an excellent drive to get the Raiders in the field goal range. But, no, I felt like it, it was – it was a game the Raiders, I think, should have dominated. Uh, maybe not dominated, but should have won handily, especially when you go up 10 nothing uh, against a third-string quarterback. They weren't able to do that, but um, they were able to figure out a way to win nonetheless. Uh, but, yeah, it felt, like, it felt like a lot of the games have this season where uh, the Raiders are blowing a game they should win. Um, they're able to, to pick up a victory, and, and it's, a, it's a big, big loss for Cleveland. I mean, after the game, 
players and coaches talk about how devastating this loss was, maybe the most devastating of the year. You play that well with your backups and third stringers and, and have the lead late in the fourth quarter and can't hang on to it when you're embroiled in a really tight AFC North race. Um, that's a brutal, brutal loss, but um, it's, it's huge for the Raiders. They obviously keep their playoff hopes alive, and now we go and see what happened on Sunday against Denver. But they're going to have to play a lot better, T.C., if they want to get this thing done and figure out a way to win out. That, to your point, I mean, that was an uninspiring victory. It is a victory nonetheless, but the way the game ended, um, they were definitely the beneficiaries of some conservative Browns play calling, and not that they're going to apologize for that, but they they got to bring it. Uh, they got to play much better on Sunday against Denver Broncos at home. Let's talk about the Raiders' play calling because obviously that is been in question. It's under scrutiny, and we've talked about it before with um, everything that's going on with Greg Olson there. What, what do you make of this? I mean, Josh Jacobs is, is a guy that a lot of people had a lot of high expectations for that this guy could could be a hundred, hundred twenty, hundred thirty yard a game, you know, rusher. I mean, this guy has turned into a forty and a fifty yard. Uh, mm-hmm. per, per game rusher right now. How much of this is on the play calling? And I get it. You know, Gruden's not there. Olsen's coming in here and trying to do things. But every game, Sam, it seems like we're scratching our heads going, what are they doing with the play calling? How much of, of the, the Raiders' struggles are, is attributed to the play calling, in your opinion? Uh, I think there's a portion of the struggles that, that, that have to do with that. I don't know if that was necessarily the problem yesterday, but you look at that stretch, D.C., right? And now, yesterday, they only they only mustered 16 points. I believe that six out of the last seven games were at 16 points or fewer. Right. Definitely, um, it's not exactly inspiring play calling. I thought on that opening drive, D.C., their car goes 8 of 8. They go right down the field. I think they opened it up a little bit more there. There's a mix uh, of, some, of some short passes, some intermediate passes, and he was really to get into a nice – Rhythm. I don't think I don't think we saw that rhythm for the rest of the game. We just didn't. I think they did open things up a little bit. Tried a couple deep shots. They got a, uh, a pass interference call that was big, and then of course trying to go deep, maybe at the wrong time on that on that bomb to, to Zay Jones that was um, that was intercepted, like you talked about. But it's really hard to, to figure out kind of what the plan is on offense. I think that's been the theme the last month and a half. As you see, kind of the play calling. What are they trying to do? What are the goals here? And you really can't. It's really hard for me to figure it out. And, and look at the the scoring. I mean, the results kind of speak for themselves at that point. I think that has to play a role in the tailspin. But in terms of the running game and Josh Jacobs, I think it's twofold. Yes, um, you know the play calling isn't necessarily doing him any favors. But this is a this isn't the same offensive line that it was when when Josh Jacobs was a rookie and he eclipsed the thousand yard mark. This is a young unit that we know has struggled all season. Not sure how much the young guys on that offensive line are really developing, save for Colton Miller, who's been one of the best left tackles in the league all year. But uh, it's it's been really hard to find a rhythm in the running game behind that offensive line. And um, I think he do, he doesn't have the same pop and burst as he did um, as a rookie. I think maybe some nagging injuries have bothered him this year and certainly last year. But uh, when you draft a running back in the first round like they did two years ago, you certainly want him to be more of a focal point. It just hasn't happened this year, and I think the offensive line play has something to do with that. No, and to your point, the offensive line is arguably one of the worst in football, especially in pass protection. Colton Miller aside, the rest of that offensive line, mm-hmm. it's it, it's terrible. And I, I, it's kind of like pick your poison. It's like, okay, are, you know, can they run block or can they can they pass block? I don't think they can do either here, and they're struggling. And I want to say one other thing, too. You talk about that first drive, and that was beautiful. But the Raiders, I, I believe, are just like so many of these other teams that have like the first 15 plays scripted. It seems sure. like where Greg Olson gets lost is as the game goes into the second half and they got to start making these decisions. I think that's where there's a big void here where you could tell you're really missing John Gruden. And, uh, you know, maybe, hey, you know, early on everything's scripted and we're going according to, to you know, our, our pregame scout and do all that sort of thing. But as the game goes on and then we start having these meaningful possessions, I think that's when uh, he gets a little bit lost. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it certainly would seem that way. And there's no doubt. I'm glad you brought up the Gruden piece of that because there's no doubt that after you know three plus years together, that him and Carr certainly had a rapport for one another, and they had a great feel. And you know, kind of the results again speak for themselves. Uh, Save for that Dallas Cowboys game, which I still don't know how how that happened. Is one of the big mysteries of the NFL season how the Raiders were able to to, to hang thirty six on the Cowboys in in AT and T Stadium uh, on Thanksgiving Day. That's very very perplexing. But save for that, this has been one of the worst offenses in the NFL the last month and a half, really. Um, you know, since since the, the, the fatal car crash that Henry Ruggs was involved in. And I think um, they certainly have missed his speed and his versatility, but also, again, Gruden 
and Carr, after you have that much time together and that much of a rapport with one another, we saw how that paid off early in the year where Derek Carr was throwing for 400 yards, 350 yards, going down the field, going short, intermediate, mixing in some of that short passing game, using that short passing game as a substitute for the running game. Um, that, that's huge. Not having him, they've certainly missed his his presence. But that aside, TC, somehow this team is still 7-7 seven and, seven and, and right there in the mix. I can't – I mean, that's – they probably shouldn't be with how poorly they played over the last month and a half. But they've banked up enough wins early in the season that this is still um, uh, still a race. And, and lo and behold, you've got a backup quarterback with the Broncos coming into Allegiant Stadium, uh, Drew Locke, who struggled here badly last year, as you recall, throwing, I think, three or four picks. He was sacked a bunch of times. It's just an atrocious performance from Denver's offense. So if the defense can find a way to make some turn, you know, force some turnovers on Sunday, the Raiders are 8-7 and seven and looking at a huge game against the Indianapolis Colts. Obviously, it's one game at a time. Um, but, yeah, they have, to, they have to figure out how to – I mean, it feels like we've been saying the same thing. They're having the same conversation for a month and a half. I don't know if they're going to get it together on the offensive side of the ball. So they might have to lean on that defense and improve defense Certainly has had his fair share of struggles over the last month and a half, but an improved defense to make some things happen uh, moving forward. All right, Sam Gordon joins us from the Las Vegas Review-Journal talking Raiders-Browns yesterday. Now, Sam, you wrote your article for the RJ basically from the Browns' perspective, and I, I really enjoyed that because a lot of times here in, in Vegas, we, we look at just, okay, from the Raiders' side, and again, I know you're you know, going to the visitors' locker room and, and, you're, and you're handling that. Uh, the Browns, like you said, they were decimated, they were depleted, yeah. but then they 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 had every opportunity and they were thinking like, yeah. wow, we actually could get this game. This is a team that if they won that game, they would be in first place in their division in the AFC North, and now that one loss really slides them completely upside down here. What was the mindset of these players and this coaching staff after letting that game get away? Uh, they were devastated. TC was absolutely a gutting loss. I mean, like you said, those were the stakes. The, this AFC North race is so tight. All these teams separated by a game, half a game. And like you said, the Browns are, would, be, would have been in first place at 8-6, and six, controlling their own destiny moving forward with, with, with two AFC North games left on their schedule. Now you've got to deal with Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers, who's really, really put, uh, picked up some steam and really made his push in the MVP race, I think Green Bay is as much of a Super Bowl contender as everybody else. And then you got Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. Massive, massive games. So that was one that they really had to have. And, and for the most part, they played well enough to win that game. It wasn't glamorous. It wasn't pretty. It was really kind of an old-school football game, the kind of game we don't see anymore where it's about field position and defense and all those things like that and whoever was opportunistic. And, and now you got to you got to turn around and, and, and deal with Green Bay? No, that's, that's tough. The, the, they, the Browns knew the gravity of that game, how important that game was. And to be that close and to not be able to get it done, given the, the circumstances and the situations, how many guys stepped up and had to get busy on short notice. I mean, you're talking about Nick Mullins. He wasn't even sure he was starting the game until early, the middle of the day yesterday because there was still a chance that Baker Mayfield could have came off the COVID list. It, obviously, that didn't happen. He's the starter, and, and, and the rest is history, as we saw last night. But, no, this was a gut-wrenching gut-wrenching loss. I mean, my, my dad, you know, again, he's, he's from Cleveland. He follows the Browns extremely closely. And when I got home uh, today, we started talking about the game, and he said that he was crushed. He was as devastated as he's been for, from a loss all year. And that, that, that mood is reflective of how the Browns were feeling. Um, it puts them in a really, really tough spot. Obviously not impossible for them to make the playoffs. They have to take care of business. But it, it's tough sledding um, at this point, you know, moving forward. I mean, you were at home with a lead in the fourth quarter with the ball in your hands, an opportunity to win the game on your terms, and they elected to run the ball predictably. The Raiders were all over it, and lo and behold, the Raiders are 7-7, seven and seven and Cleveland is too. It is what it is. Both teams have to move forward. And the Browns now have to get on the road. Very short week and got to go play the Packers uh, on Saturday mm-hmm. on Christmas Day. Uh, what is, how many of the, of the Browns guys that were out uh, due to COVID will be eligible to play, do you think, uh, come Saturday? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I doubt they get everybody back, but I imagine they'll at least get Mayfield back and, and a couple other key players. Um, it, was, it was a makeshift offensive line. I think that played a role in some of the, the, the play calling earlier in the game from Cleveland's perspective. You wanted to kind of get a feel for how, how that line was going to block and what they were going to do for Nick Mullins. They actually played pretty well. I don't think the Raiders recorded a sack, but – yeah, I mean, there's still some mystery with, with this COVID situation. There's still kind of an, an aura of mystery 
that's that's clouding this team this week. And like you said, it's a short week, and you have to go into one of the toughest places to play in Lambeau Field. It's tough, tough, tough sledding. That was a game, again, yesterday. You had to have. You had the opportunity. You led the game in the final minutes, and, and you couldn't get it done. So um, I, I think, obviously, we'll wait and see. I don't, I don't know for sure. Uh, but I would be surprised if they got everybody back. I, I think they're still going to be a little shorthanded against one of the hottest teams in the NFL, one of the hottest quarterbacks. Once again. All right, uh, Sam Gordon uh, actually left Cleveland, go spend some time in uh, Minneapolis, correct? D- did, yeah. do you get, did you get a chance to, uh, to see the Vikings play last night, even though they were on the road against Chicago? And you could say yeah. that was a little bit of an ugly game, but hey, the Vikings got the job done, and technically they're still alive. Yeah, them too, TC. One of the weirdest teams in the league. It feels like on any given Sunday or Monday or whatever day, the Vikings can beat anybody. They have as good of offensive skill position players. I mean, Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook, Adam Thielen, who didn't play yesterday, but has been a touchdown machine. That's it. That, that team can move the ball against pretty much anybody, and it could also look like it did last night against pretty much anybody, too. So uh, for all things considered, to be 7-7 seven and seven, if you're the Vikings, with some of the gut-wrenching losses they've had, including one on the, at the horn to the hapless Detroit Lions, you got to be pretty satisfied with where you're at, but but it, it's not it's not going to be super easy for them either. They have a big game against the Rams. They still have to play Green Bay again at Lambeau Field, and then another divisional game against the Bears. So such a weird team, such a weird year in the NFL. I mean, what about the Arizona Cardinals losing a must-win game to Detroit? So much parity in this league. It's really hard to tell who the best team in the NFL is. I don't know if we have one, and that's okay with me because that's what's going to make this postseason fun. I think we're going to see some unpredictable stuff. Um, of course, you know, Aaron Rodgers is going to be there. I expect Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes, the usual suspects, to be there. But we don't know for sure because of the, this way this year has gone. All those teams have lost games they should have won, including the Bucks on Sunday, inexplicably getting shut out at home. Um, just a weird year in general. So maybe if the Vikings get in the playoffs, they can get hot. I also like what San Francisco is doing, too. It looks yeah. like they found their groove at the right time. So it should be as fascinating of a postseason as we've had in quite some time. Yeah, it is. And add in the extra week at the end, the 17-game schedule, just it allows more and more teams to continue to still be alive. And as far as the Vikings go, I mean, you, you still got Dalvin Cook. And Kirk Cousins now improves, Sam, to 2-9 and nine on Monday Night Football. Oh, by the way, both those wins coming over the Bears the last two seasons. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, you got you got to start somewhere, right? And uh, he did not certainly have a, a signature performance yesterday, but he did what he had to do, throwing a couple touchdown passes, and, and the Vikings defense played well enough to win that game too against the, albeit against a rookie quarterback and a, a what I feel is a lame duck head coach and Matt Nagy. I don't think there's any way he's coming back um, next year, but but lo and behold, Kirk gets it done, the Vikings get it done, and uh, they're seven and seven too. So many teams right there in that mix in both sides of the conference. It's it's mixed for what's going to be a very, very fascinating last three weeks of the season, for sure. You got it. He is Sam Gordon, Las Vegas Review Journal. From Las Vegas to Cleveland to Minneapolis, the home of Prince. We'll send you out on some Prince. A little controversy right now, Sam. One of my all-time favorites. I know you endorse that, right? Absolutely. I mean, the man played 25 instruments and sang like an angel. We love Prince of Minneapolis. Rest in peace to the great one, Prince Nelson. There you go, brother. Appreciate you. All right, man. Hey, enjoy your Christmas, and uh, hopefully if you got some uh, some time to make for us, uh, let's talk again here real soon before you get back home. All right, no doubt, DC. Appreciate you having me. Happy holidays. You talk got it. Much. Right back at you. There he is, Sam Gordon. All right, Raiders get the job done. They're 7-7. Seven and seven. And the Broncos on deck in a game they should win, facing a backup quarterback in Drew Locke. We'll be talking about that in the next couple days as well, too, as we get ready for Raiders-Broncos on Sunday. Coming up after the break, hour number two, Chuck Esposito joins us from Red Rock Casino. We talk about the sportsbook side. Underdogs having another good run, especially on Sunday. We'll talk about that. We'll take a quick look ahead to next week's games as well, too. Plus... Terrible Tuesday rant. 